Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Excited to get on with our uh, brand new series here. We're going to start a series about heaven, a three-part study on heaven, and we could make this uh, much longer, but uh, so many wonderful things to say, and the Bible has to say about heaven. You know, there's over, they say there's over 600 verses that directly relate to our future home, so that we're not going to uh, hit every single one, but, um, but I think you're going to be so blessed as we go through this series on heaven. Now, it's remarkable how a belief in afterlife is actually really just built into every human. We, just, we, all, we just all just know that there is something after this world. Um, in fact, it's uh, the fact that something's out there somewhat, somewhere, and it lasts forever, has shaped really every civilization in human history. I'm going to give you a few examples. Australian Aborigines, they pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was an island in the faraway east. Mexicans, Peruvians, and Polynesians believed that they went to the sun or the moon after death. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. The Gilgamesh epic, an ancient Babylonian legend, refers to a resting place of heroes and hints at a tree of life. The pyramids of Egypt, the embalmed bodies, had maps placed beside them as guides to the future world. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. And really, it goes on and on and on. Evidence suggests that every culture has some, a, just this God-given innate sense of this eternal world that's, uh, that's going to be out there. And that this is not all that there is. It just can't be. But what does God say about what happens to us after we die? Now, I'm going to ask this morning here and for the next few weeks that we get rid of all of our preconceived notions and our preconceived ideas about the afterlife and really just kind of release those things and, and let's let Scripture speak. Uh, let's focus on what God says in His Word. Now, here's the thing about that. I think we can use our imaginations, and I think God wants us to use our imaginations, uh, or he wouldn't have given them to us. However, they have to be imaginations that are guided and within the parameters of God's word. So, why teach this? Why talk about heaven at all? I mean, we're all so busy in life, right, as it is. I got so much to focus on here. Why am I talking about what's there? Well, first of all, a few reasons. Number one, it's in the Bible. As I said, over 600 verses directly relating to our eternal home. So we should teach everything in God's word, and so we need to teach it. But the second thing is uh, comfort. Uh, believers need comfort. We need comfort so often. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, God told us to comfort one another with the words about the fact that Jesus is coming back and that we're going to be with him forever. So those are specific, that's a specific command to comfort each other 
with these words. So maybe this morning you need comfort, and heaven is the one thing that will comfort your heart so much. But third, I think, I want to talk about this, it's in my heart really to speak about this because as a challenge to all of us as believers in, in this way. We have a tendency to love the world too much. Amen. We love the stuff here. We kind of put down our roots a little too deep, I think, sometimes here as believers. We invest here, and we, we, stop, we don't stop and think about eternity often enough. Maybe partly because we don't have a good enough handle on heaven. And I think that's a good possibility. There's also another reason, and I, I think that is that the devil really does not want us to be heavenly-minded. He really doesn't want to have a, us have a good view of heaven, a right view, so that we're actually very uh, we're anticipating heaven. Is it good to live our life thinking about heaven, to anticipate heaven, to always have heaven on the mind in, in a sense? I mean, some people have, you may have heard the famous phrase, uh, it gets thrown around in Christian circles, but don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Well, I get what that, what that saying is trying to say, but is it a good statement? Well, Paul never said that. It's not a Bible verse. In fact, look what Paul said. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remember this verse, these verses. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, the word seek there in verse 1, to seek those things which are above, means a diligent, active, single-minded investigation. It's also in the present tense, so that means keep on seeking heaven. Keep this in your mind. Be diligent, be active, have a mind for heaven. Have a mind for things above, not on things on the earth. Now, I love what C.S. Lewis said. Uh, listen to this. If you read history you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Listen to this, aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And, I, and think about this, what do you think that people in heaven right now would want to tell us? What do you think they would stand here and say if they could? I think they would say, this place is real that I'm living in right now so live in light of this eternal home. Keep this in your mind. But Christians sometimes fail. We fail to get excited about heaven, I think maybe for a few reasons. One is that we've heard about, what we've heard about heaven or what we think about heaven sounds boring. Sounds like one really long church service. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm gonna challenge that, of course. We're gonna talk about how it's not boring at all, but um, I, I will say one thing about that is if we think that heaven, and once we get a better picture of what it is, when we, if we think that heaven will be boring, then that also tells us a little something about what we think about God. And we might, it means we might think God is boring. And that's not a good place to be. 
perhaps we also maybe we're not excited about heaven because we can't know things about it. We think, I can't know things about it. I mean, it's just out there somewhere, and so why try? Uh, Why even try to think about it? Well, I'm going to try in these next three weeks to not say that heaven is unimaginable. I'm going to try to keep away from saying that, even though there is this sense where it is just beyond what we can think of. But but you see, the Bible has told us enough, a lot, to where we can actually imagine within the parameters of God's word what it will be like. So I think God wants us to think about it, wants us to imagine it, and um, it will actually spur us on and give us so much hope and joy. Perhaps maybe you haven't even given it that much thought at all until, but there will come a day when you will, and usually it's when a crisis hits, when someone you love dies, and then everybody thinks about heaven. And perhaps for some, they're not excited about heaven because, as I said, the enemy has just distracted us with so many temporary things. There's so many things going on in this life. I'm so invested here. There's so much I'm doing that I just don't have time and I don't stop and think about eternity. So whatever the reason, I think we're missing a huge opportunity for daily joy and daily peace if we don't put our minds on heaven. There's a book called The Country of the Blind and H.G. Wells, in that book, he writes of a very remote tribe who all in this tribe, they all lost their sight during a terrible epidemic. And eventually all entire generations growing up and they, none of them have sight. Nobody has ever seen anything. They don't even know, they aren't even aware of what sight is or the world that's around them. They've never seen it. And because of that handicap, they're unaware of their true condition. They don't understand what the world looks like and they have no idea what realms are out there beyond their village. Spiritually speaking, in many ways, we live in the country of the blind. The disease of sin has blinded us to God. It's blinded us to heaven. But fortunately for all of us, Jesus has come to our valley. He's come to our tribe from heaven to tell us about his father, to tell us about what heaven is like and the world to come. So if we listen, we'll never be the same. And uh, we won't ever want to be the same either. Now, I want us to see heaven the best we can through the word of God, and so there's one passage that gives us the most detail about our eternal home, our last stop, forever and ever. And we're going to look at that amazing passage today and next week, but I also hope hope to talk about the time between now and then at that moment, and also the rewards in the coming weeks, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions that pop up in your mind, you know, uh, what about this, and what about this in heaven, and can I enjoy this, or will I be able to do this? Uh, well, hang on, we're probably going to answer a lot of those, but, um, but there's a lot of great answers right here in Scripture on many of those. So, today I want to show you what we think about heaven, and here's, here's the theme for today and, and next week, and I want all of this, I hope this phrase right here will be in our minds when we think about heaven, and that is this, familiar, but better. Heaven is familiar, but it's better. Heaven is, and will be, familiar, but better. We'll return to that phrase, but keep it in mind. Let's look at the Final two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. Um, if you'll go there, please. In your Bible, I don't have it all up here, so you're going to have to get in the Bible yourself. You're going to have to go to your app. You're going to have to open the Word of God and follow along, because what I want to do is I want to read this passage so we're all on the same page, and then we'll take down, uh, pull out a few of those for today and do some more next week. But God allows here in this Revelation 21 and 22, God is allowing... John, the apostle, the apostle, to see uh, some of heaven. 
And he tells him, John, write this down for everybody. So now what we have here is an eyewitness account to, to uh, the place that every believer is going to end up. This is home for us. What we're about to read is home. And I want to read the whole thing, so, uh, so hang in there with me, all right? Revelation 21 and uh, the first part of 22. So follow along. And I saw, this is John speaking, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of, of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof in 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall uh, of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundation of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, and the twelfth an amethyst. Hope I said those right. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. 
and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall be no, in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. <clears throat> in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they, no, uh, they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. <laughs> We're going to stop right there. There's a lot to take in. But the very first thing here in the very first verse, it says that John sees a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I want to explain that so we can really picture it. Now, let's break down that phrase, new, and then heaven and earth. The word new is the Greek word kainos. It's new as opposed to old, but also new in quality, new and superior in character. It's like getting a brand new car or an upgraded software you know, on, your, on your computer. It's new, but it's better. It's a serious upgrade is the point. Uh, they, but it's still called, so it's new, it's a serious, serious upgrade, but it's still called heaven, and it's still called earth. Heaven. The, the Bible uses the word heaven in three senses. The first heaven the Bible talks about is the atmosphere, the blue sky that we see. The second is really the, the, the outer, outer space, or the night sky. But the third heaven the Bible talks about is the place then where God lives. So you have to know which heaven we're talking about in each, in each uh, situation. With here, when the Bible speaks of a new heaven, what it's talking about is a new blue sky, a new space, a new night sky, not a new heaven where God dwells. So you, we get a new sky. So the point is here, there will be a new and better sky that, like we've never seen before. And later, as, you, as we read through there, there, it says there would be no need for the sun. Now, it does not say expressly that there will be no sun. Um, it says that there will be no need for the sun. So there's no darkness, we know that. And God and Jesus is the light of this place. And so there's no need for the sun. And, but, you know, one thing is, a question that pops up is, well, what about sunrises and sunsets? We love them, that's beautiful. And, and I think, even though there's no darkness in heaven, I think because this is a new and upgraded sky, that we're going to have so much beauty in that sky. So many, God's going to paint so many colors at different times. He's going to blow our minds. This, it's not far-fetched to think that God is just going to put some colors and just surprise us every single day with a brand new, a brand new beauty in the sky and how spectacular it will be. It's not far-fetched because the heaven, when you look and see how God describes the city and how uh, just amazing it is uh, and how spectacular it is, 
why wouldn't God do that in the sky too? So the heavens will be new. But what about the earth? It's a new earth. Now, I want to focus more on this because that's where our actual home will be. There's several times throughout Scripture that Scripture t- tells us we're going to see a new heaven and a new earth. And it's promised. Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 19. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. We won't even think about that old earth. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, a rejoicing, and her people, a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Psalm 102 says, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. He's talking about this earth. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. And then in 2 Peter, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. You see, God is done with the first heaven and the first earth by this time. As a part of his judgment, he dissolves the heavens, he melts the earth with a fervent heat, and then starts over and he recreates a brand new sky, an upgraded sky, and a brand new earth, an upgraded earth. In fact, in the first two chapters of the Bible, you think about it, the first two chapters of the entire Bible begin with the creation of the heaven and earth. The last two chapters of the Bible end with the recreation of the heaven and the earth. This has been God's plan the entire time. The earth is home for humans, and it will continue to be home forever and ever. It'll just be a new earth. So they're new. It's new, it's upgraded, but they're still called heaven, and they're still called earth. God still calls it the earth. It's the new earth. Now that word earth is very familiar to us. We know what earth is. The Apostle John, when he was there and he saw it, and God said, here, look at, what I, look at where you're going to live. What did John call it? He said, it's a new earth. It's the earth. It's familiar. And when he, he knew it immediately, when he saw it, this is the earth. It's just a new earth. And it's familiar to me. There's continuity here. There's, there's earthy things, but it's better. It's familiar, but better. Heaven is When we talk about heaven, what we're saying is it's all the good of the earth without any of the bad of the earth. So new, meaning better, but also earth, meaning familiar. Consider this wonderful insight from Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven. It's an amazing book. It's a sentinel book. It's it's an amazing, eye-opening thoughts about what Scripture says about heaven. I recommend it. But here's what he said. He said, when we open our eyes for the first time in the new earth, Will it be unfamiliar or will we recognize it as home? And then here's what he says. As human beings, we long for home. Even as we step out to explore undiscovered new frontiers, we long for the familiarity of the old, even as we crave the innovation of the new. Think of all the things we love that are new. Moving into a new house, the smell of a new car, the feel of a new book, a new movie, a new song, the pleasure of of a new friend, the enjoyment of a new pet, new presents on Christmas, staying in a nice new hotel room, arriving at a new school or a new workplace. 
welcoming a new child or grandchild, eating new foods that suit our tastes. We love newness. Yet, in each case, what is new is attached to something familiar. We don't really like things that are utterly foreign to us. Instead, we appreciate fresh and innovative variations on things that we already know and love. So when we hear that in heaven we will have new bodies and live on a new earth, that's how we should understand the word new. A restored and perfected version of our familiar bodies and our familiar earth and our familiar relationships. I hope we can all start thinking of our eternity in that way. It's a new earth. This made me think of several years ago when my wife and I experienced uh, Hawaii beaches for the first time in our entire, actually it's the first time we ever experienced a warm beach, you know, and uh, living in California, we've been to beaches hundreds of times. I mean, we'd, you'd grow up going to beach, the beach, but, and they're beautiful beaches, gorgeous, but just about every beach in Northern California, you better bring your jacket just in case, because it could get chilly real quick, and forget about stepping in the water. It's freezing in that water, but then we went there, and we stepped into a different part of the Pacific Ocean, and much, much different. I found out why people call it paradise, you know, and everything's just suited for humanity. It's just perfect. The point is, the point is though, that it was familiar to us. It was a beach. <laughs> We're familiar with beaches. But as a Californian, it was, I, it was so much better. I had never experienced it that good before. That's what heaven's gonna be like. It'll feel familiar. It'll be home. It'll feel like home to us. But it's nothing like you've ever experienced before. It's beyond what you could even ask or think. So what will be better in heaven? I wanna talk about three of the things that we have on here. The Bible says here in this passage it's gonna be a better earth. So let's talk about that a little more for just a moment. A better earth. And in verse one, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. So if it's earth, then there will be earthly attributes. That's what we see in Revelation 21 and 22 here. There are mountains God talks about. There are rivers, which then might lead to lakes. <clears throat> there are trees talked about. In the Garden of Eden, there were many kinds of trees. There's a city here. There's roads. There's walls. There's gates. There's buildings. Jesus talked about mansions or dwelling places. It's all very familiar to us. That, all that language is very familiar. There are animals talked about in scripture, and so we believe animals will be there as well. No more sea, it says here, though, because the sea represent, re represented, especially back then, to those people in a very real way, the sea represented death and separation. There was probably, again, still be huge bodies of water, I believe, uh, just fresh water. Um, the river of life that flows from the throne of God has to flow somewhere. <laughs> so I think God's going to create large bodies of water still on this earth. All of these things that God tells us about are familiar because it's the earth. And remember that God placed the first two people in the entire world on the earth. And the earth was for them and it was for their children. God has not changed his mind on giving the earth to people as a gift. Remember, Jesus even said, the meek shall inherit what? The earth. The earth. I don't see any reason in scripture to think that all the good things you love right now on the earth 
won't be there. If it's a legitimate and a good thing that you love to do here on this earth, why wouldn't they be on a new and better and upgraded earth? All our good and legitimate loves, I think, will be intensified. Think about what the earth was like with Adam and Eve in, the, in a garden of absolute perfection. I've stood, and many of you have probably stood overlooking the Grand Canyon. The massiveness of the Grand Canyon is, it really truly did take my breath away. Anybody that goes there, I, I say, you know, and everybody who's been there will say the same thing and always agree with me. There are no pictures in the world that do the Grand Canyon justice. You just can't do it. Because once you're standing there, it takes your breath away. Imagine that feeling again and again and again. As each day, the Lord, we just visit somewhere on this earth that God, this perfect earth that God has created that just blows our mind. Emerson Egrich, of course, he calls it the never-ending first moment. It's like when you get there, oh, wow. And he said it's like never, the never-ending first moment in heaven. And that's what you have coming. That's what you have coming. That's your future if you love Jesus. But we don't just get a better earth. We also get, number two, it says here, a better city. You see, the new earth is not like the Garden of Eden in this way. <clears throat> in Eden, there were only two people. But in heaven, there will be a whole city of people. Verse two, And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, the word is city. City. That's very familiar to us. We understand cities. We know what a city is, but this is a better city. It's a new city. It's a holy city. It's new Jerusalem. It's not a city with the crime. It's not a city with sin. It's not a city with all the congestion and all the stuff that we don't like about cities. This is a holy city with God dwelling and ruling in the center. It's like one of the most, John said, it's one of the most intricately beautiful things you've ever seen in your life. The only thing I can think to describe it is a bride adorned for her husband. The phrase, that phrase represents the long care taken in every tiny detail of the city. A bride takes incredible care of every detail of her, of how she looks and every aspect of for that big day. And we are the bride of Christ and like, just like a bride obsesses over every detail, so God has made sure that this place is absolutely perfect down to the minute detail. God loves beauty. God loves order. And something amazing about heaven as I was studying this to me is that we get, we're gonna get to see the beauty of the mountains, the trees, the rivers, the, just that nature feel. We're gonna enjoy it in a way we've never enjoyed it before, but also we get to enjoy architecture like we've never enjoyed it before. We get both in heaven. It all has amazing beauty. And in chapter 21, an angel takes John and says, John, I'm taking a measuring rod and I'm gonna take you around this entire city. And quite a few verses are used here as we read through them to describe the city's architecture. It's 1,500 miles in every direction. Uh, in its width and breadth and, and then the length. And it's so apparently this city is a cube. Just like the Holy of Holies was a cube, this is a cube. It will sit on a mountain, it says, and the walls are representative of God's protection. We don't need walls in the sense for protection because there's no uh, enemies that will try to come in. It's just representative of God's protection, protection of us. The gates, 
in there also representative showing uh, who is and who is not allowed in. There's only righteousness allowed through those gates. And the wall ha- has a foundation and the streets are made of precious stones. We read through those precious stones. And those picture God's perfection and his holiness and his purity. But the scope and the beauty of this place is like nothing we've ever seen. And again, it's all pointing to the fact that Jesus loves this city. He loves Jerusalem. He loves his bride. And it's the Lamb's bride, it says. And so he loves his bride. He loves the church. By the way, this shows me also that our new eyes, with our new bodies, the new eyes that we have, will appreciate beauty, will appreciate colors and artistry, just because he's describing this city in so many beautiful ways. Just like we enjoy it here, beauty here, we'll enjoy the beauty there. But let's talk about the enormity of this city for just a minute. Look at this. It's 1,500 miles in every direction. Now, let me put that in perspective for just a moment. Because some people ask, can all the saved of all the world, of all times, fit into the city? Well, <clears throat> it's because it's so tall. It's 1,500 miles in all directions. And so, if you have stories, if you put stories in there uh, 20 feet high, then every story will, would be 396,000, or there would be three, uh, if every story were 20 feet, there would be 396,000 stories in all. 396,000 stories. Each story ha- as big as one half of the United States. There's enough room in that city for everyone who will ever be saved to live there. Don't worry. Henry Morris, uh, guessing, let's say, he said, let's just guess that there will be 100 billion people uh, in the human race throughout all of history. Now, that's a really, <laughs> that's a, a wild guess. Nobody knows how many uh, people will be born altogether. But he said, let's take all the people who will ever be born, let's say that's 100 billion, and let's say 20% of those are born-again Christians. And if, and if, if they, all of those go to, go to this new city and they live in this new city, each person will have about 75 acres of their own. And so obviously that's highly speculative, but there is just plenty of room in the new Jerusalem. Now in this new and better city, this new Jerusalem will walk around being forever blown away by the goodness of God and the blood of Christ. I think we'll walk around looking at the walls and looking how beautiful it is and this, just the precious stones everywhere. I think we're just going to be saying, the blood of Jesus Christ bought this. The blood of Jesus Christ purchased this for me. The blood of the Lamb is why I'm here. All day long, every day, we'll be walking around saying, this is what we get because of what the Lamb of God purchased for us. But remember, the cities are social places. And that's what God's perfect city will have in abundance. That's what it's all about. Perfect, godly community. Even in a perfect world, we need each other. We need others. Before the fall of man, when in a perfect environment, in Genesis, God said it's not good that man should be alone. Even though he was able to walk with God in the cool of the day, he still needed a companion. And so God made Eve. And, that's, and in heaven, we're gonna be the same. We're gonna want to be with each other as well as with Jesus. Heaven is a place of relationships and loving community with all the saved from all time. Remember what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. 
We'll all be together with the Lord. We, we, we in heaven will spend our time in familiar but better friendships. Church is great. I love church, but everything uh, will be better there. Never any relational issues, never any feelings of selfishness, never pride, never revenge, no, no feelings of inferiority, none of those. Social activities will abound just like feasts abound throughout scripture and feasts will be there as well. You'll sit and eat with whomever you want. Yes, you'll eat. You can have breakfast with the Apostle Paul, lunch with D.L. Moody, and dinner with Jim Elliott if you want to. I think there will be sporting events just like there are here on this earth and cities here. I think there'll be musical performances. I think there'll be theatrical performances. Uh, Daniel, could you play the lion in the den thing again for us? I want to see how that went down. Um, I mean, it, why wouldn't there be? Why wouldn't there be? It's the earth. It's a new earth, and humans who enjoy these things will be there. There are sports maybe that we've never even played yet that are gonna be there. There's music we've never even heard yet that will be there. Heaven will be a place of discovery forever and ever. We'll be learning new things. First Timothy 6, 17 says, God has given us richly all things to enjoy, but every single thing will be perfectly holy and glorifying to God. Think of this like, as like when I give our children a gift at Christmas or whenever. It's my greatest pleasure as a dad or a grandpa now and when I give a gift, to just watch them enjoy the gift. It's my greatest pleasure. And that's God's greatest pleasure. Here's your gift. You can enjoy this place. Have a, this is what I wanted for you this entire time. You and me together here. Don't, but don't worry, introverts. Like me, <coughs> none of the stresses or the anxieties of this city will, will be in you. You won't be, ah, oh, I don't want to be around people. And even if you don't, you get to be alone if you want to. You can be with people as much as you desire. You have eternity to do the things you enjoy. Lastly, real quick, let me say this. It's a better worship. There's a new closeness, closeness to Jesus like you've never had before. And this is my favorite part of all. Here in verse three, my favorite phrase in the entire chapter here is, is there. And I heard a great voice of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And listen to this, he will dwell with them. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and he be their God. I get so excited, and when I read this, and my heart starts to race when I really focus on what these words mean. Adam and Eve are the only two humans who have ever gotten to experience this level of closeness to God so far on earth. By the way, this is why we still call this heaven up there and not just new earth. Because, any, because the heaven is the dwelling place of God. And so that's why we still call this heaven. Because God's there. It's his home. And wherever God is, that is heaven. To walk with God in the cool of the day like Adam did, this is the greatest part of heaven. A few verses down in verse 22, I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. In other words, listen, we can commune with the glorified Jesus at any time we want to. We don't have to go to the temple on certain appointed times to meet with the Lord. When you have in heaven, when you have that feeling, I want to just go to the temple, I want to worship the Lord, I want to be with the Lord, you just go right to Jesus. He is the temple. Jesus will miraculously be able to spend personal time with every single believer. And you will have such closeness with him like you've never experienced before. Have you ever read the New Testament and wanted to walk with Jesus like one of those disciples, just walk along the shore like Jesus did? You can in heaven. Go on a walk with Jesus. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
That gets me pumped right there. Look, look at how it's described in verse four of 22. They, they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, by which I understand two things. First, that they shall literally and physically with ri their risen bodies actually look into the face of Jesus. And secondly, that spiritually their mental faculties shall be enlarged so that they shall be enabled to look into the very heart and soul and character of Christ. So as to understand him, his work, his love, he is all in all as they never understood him before. His name shall be in their foreheads. I don't know if that's literal or not, but I'm happy either way. If it's, little, if it's literal, then I'm gonna look in the mirror, I'm gonna say Jesus right across for him. Saying, I'm gonna always remember who loves me and who stamped me and who, who wants me here in heaven. And it's also a reminder of my identification. If it's not literal, it just means that our mental faculties or moral understanding of who Jesus is, I love that too. There's so much more to say. Job 19, listen to this as we close. I know that my Redeemer liveth, listen to this, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand on that latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy my, this body, yet in my flesh, that is my new body, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Oh, Job so looked forward to seeing the face of God, and so do I. Psalm 16, 11, thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's heaven. Whether in heaven or on earth, nearness to Christ is what brings mankind the greatest joy. The greatest thing about heaven is Jesus. I love what C.S. Lewis said. I find, if I find in myself a desire right now in which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That inner desire, it's Jesus. That's who we want. That's who we're longing for. People today are so lost and depressed and lonely. They can't find satisfaction on this earth because they're made for another world. We're made for another, another place. A place where we dwell face to face with Jesus. Someone has said we are made for a person and we're made for a place. Amen. And it's true, we are. So practice now, everybody. Make sure you have accepted Jesus as Savior and he's your Lord. Get as close as you can to Jesus on this earth. And so that when you get to heaven, the worship and the closeness with Jesus will be so familiar, so familiar, what you've been longing for, but even better than it ever has been before. Lord, we love you. And praise we you. hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.